Circuit Cast with your host, Mark Amory. This Circuit Cast, we speak to artist and musician Nathan Gray in Melbourne about his decision earlier with eight others to withdraw from the upcoming Sydney Biennale, which then on Friday led to the resignation of the director of the Biennale's board and dismissal of founding sponsor Transfield. We also consider the Adam Art Gallery exhibition in Wellington Cinema and Painting. That's our subject in this month's critical panel, and we'll be crossing to New York as well, with sure our globetrotting, to speak to a true legend of experimental filmmaking, Ken Jacobs, with the able assistance of his wife and collaborator, Flo. But first, here on the cast to our panel, our coterie, our inner core, taking a look at an exhibition, um, and it's one we really couldn't not consider on this pod, uh, which is Cinema and Painting at the Adam Art Gallery on until the 11th of May. And here in the pod today are academic and writer Martin Patrick. Hello to you, Martin. Hello, Martin. And also uh, City Gallery, and now I believe also St. Paul Street in Auckland Gallery uh, curator, um, associate director? Assistant director. Assistant director. <laughs> Not that I'm sure I know the difference. Right. <laughs> Abby Kunane, associate assistant. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Let's, let's get to the matter at hand. Cinema and Painting, curated by Daniel Morgan and Michelle Menzies. Uh, Michelle will be well known to regular listeners. We last heard her in an Irish pub with us <laughs> dishing out the bouquets last, last year. Uh, Lest... Let's try and give uh, the work the same grilling as everyone else and not give her too much uh, uh, favour. All right. Now, the show. I guess my first impression is that, for me, it was a surprisingly, I guess, sensual and almost painterly, almost literally a kind of cross between cinema and painting. Mm-hmm. Any any thoughts on that? Well, I guess um, to, to start at the beginning, I think the opening moment in this show was definitely one of the best that I've um, experienced in a while. I think Judy Miller's space work, number seven, I think it is, um, it really packs a, a punch as soon as you enter that space so it kind of unfurls from the wall in this sort of roiling reel I guess is the appropriate term it's very literal almost isn't it you get it it very is quickly. but it's also very um, you experience it also as well as getting it in your head so it's dramatic it's kind of climactic but I think the point I'm trying to make is it's um, it's also very high spirited it's very kind of celebratory and that's that's a that's a tone which I think does continue throughout the exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Almost to a queasy effect, I thought, Martin. I mean, I felt kind of, you know, like I do not want to be on acid in this <laughs> Well, I was, uh, uh, um, in contrast to Abby, I was unconvinced by um, the work as you enter the gallery until you turn the corner. Yeah. And then there's Diana, American video artist Diana Thader's work. And I found that... Um, very luminous, literally, because it's an amber-lit corridor with a projection of daisies, which you would think is almost almost kitschy or almost uh, like greeting card, but it was actually very... I, I found I really wanted to stay in that space. It wasn't a space that made me want to run away from it or anything, but uh, I thought that was one of the... or the highlight of the... particularly the contemporary works in the exhibition, of which there are very few. Martin, to be fair, the it's before you turn the corner. It's kind of glowing. You're that's actually, true. That's you're actually true. called exactly. to turn that corner. I think yeah. that's a powerful thing too, the relationship between Miller's work, in which obviously orange is quite a predominant mm. colour, and the theta work kind of glowing orange around the corner. I think that's a really well-handled kind of transition. It's a neat pairing, but I guess where you're going, Martin, is that, I mean, this is a show essentially, if I was to kind of, put it together a show about rewriting art history to include experimental film like bring experimental film in, in, in here it's not its focus isn't really about the contemporary moment of, of the relationship between film and painting but it's I a huge see. field of uh, film studies and film theory and I think that there's 
what uh, I found very problematic and difficult about the exhibition is it seemed very ambitious in its notions, but in a very modest sized gallery. So even though the atom is a fairly um, uh, large space in comparison to, to, to some university galleries, it's still this um, uh, kind of very specific kind of architecture that one has to deal with. And also, how, how are you going to take on this broad category of um, cinema and painting, which just, it, it seemed like if it were an academic um, or research show, which it is, it's very, very smart, you know, things being said, uh, and a lot of very well-meaning things, but I don't think that it really holds together as, as an exhibition. It's more like um, a series of moments, uh, some of which I think are quite profound and others which are, you know, uh, sort of hard to understand why they're in that context. And cinema and painting just seems like way too broad a, ca a category for an exhibition like this. Well, in, in defense of the, of the curators, I mean, that's exactly what I felt, but reading their sort of opening introduction and the, the small you know, mm -hmm. handaway catalog, they say it is impossibly broad. Mm -hmm. and we are going to take, um, they use the word eccentric, I, mm. I, that but grounded, me also. eccentric but grounded <laughs> line through it. And I did struggle with that. It, it did almost feel kind of, kind of literal okay well we're going to have the, the direct filmmaking of Len Lai and we're going to have some you know some kind of contemporary equivalence of that and we're going to throw in a Judy Miller commission and it, 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 it did strand this but I kind of I kind of wanted more I wanted more of the relationship between cinema and painting um, you know more about that framing narrative a whole lot of the different ways they kind of interrelate uh, well I thought it, it seemed almost like there were seeds of several different exhibitions going on that didn't go I think in in, a, in that direction of sort of culmination in the sense that there were there are some really important figures of American experimental filmmaking in the exhibition and it's a privilege to see some of that but it doesn't always seem like it's the most um, uh, appropriate works for the first time you're seeing that work say and uh, but then at the same time um, and also one of the most convincing viewing spaces for me was actually in the Kirk Gallery which is yes. which is the most cinematic of the spaces because yes. it's a darkened space and you're sitting and you're looking at uh, the Solomon work which I think is a really strong and forceful piece of cinema but um, that you know, is sits beside of the notion of how painting enters in and so Abby, how did mm. you find it in the gallery? I, I obviously found it kind of queasy the way the works were operating against each other, but what about what what, what for you? Um I, f I felt like it was quite an impacting experience and actually it's interesting that you raised the architecture Martin because I think that really in this case works for the show. Mm. I was quite um as I mentioned the the theatre kind of emanating around the corner was a really powerful moment for me. Also as you go down the stairs the sense of um, the kind of flickering light, which I think comes from Matt Saunders' work right down the end of the ground-level space or the low, below ground space um, is, an, is an important one. I guess what I'm thinking um, when you talk about the whether it serves this kind of idea of, the, of this rich dialogue between cinema and painting, I think it's about that, yes, and it's about this kind of important conversation that's, that's a long-standing one between those two mediums, but it's also about the limits of that conversation. And I think it... Um, quite uh, self-consciously illustrate some of those limits and I don't think that's a problem with the show I think it's something that uh, we are um, we are positioned to kind of read um, an example of what I'm talking about the McCann work down in the uh, on the lower level reading that through the kind of flickering light that I mentioned of, uh, from Matt Saunders work is incredibly problematic for me it's quite oh. uh, it's quite difficult and I I'm quite interested by this notion of 
um, painting as being something that, uh, or the relationship between painting and cinema is both having to do with time and um, durational kind of experience. But I think essential to painting, contrary to what, um, yeah, some people would, would think, um, is this this idea of stillness and stillness being part of our, the way that we experience paintings. And when you kind of compromise that or disrupt it with flickering light, uh, you have a, you have a very different mm-hmm. different experience. Sure. I guess um, Judy Miller may well has said otherwise of her work and talked about its relationship to cave paintings and the way that they were read in a kind of flickering light from a fire. Mm. Um, mm. So there's lots of ways of kind of coming at this. You mentioned McCann. I kind I'm interested that we have Colin McCann. We're obviously very familiar with Anthony McCall, who people are very familiar with um, at the Adam Art Gallery previously. I I I did have questions about why those artists particularly were there when there is a very rich history of the relationship between cinema and painting. Well, I felt it was a very eccentric trajectory, as was mentioned, uh, in relation to some of the statements about the show by the curators, but I felt this, it just uh, raised questions about, of course, anyone could go, to be fair, anyone can go into an exhibition like this and say, why know this or why know that? But Mm. I did feel as if if a case is being made for the centrality of, say, um, painting in relation to cinema, then why wouldn't any hinge it on, on a lot of American experimental filmmakers? Why wouldn't you include Stan Brakhage, for example, who mm. is, was one of the most important theorists of that time? He was influenced by one of the artists in the show and influenced others. And it just seems like a great aporia not to have any, uh, any slight... <laughs> um, amount of work by Brackage. And then um, it seems like some of the modern films are in great dialogue with early 20th century modernism, but it doesn't, see, it seems like the chronology sort of skips all over the place. So it's hard for me to really um, conceive of which kind of, not that things have to be linear, I'm, I'm completely against that, but I felt that um, it was trying to make some kind of linear statements, but I didn't feel that that was coming through in, in terms of the choices of artists and the groupings um, seemed quite idiosyncratic and unclear to me. Yeah, People are being introduced to a lot of these experimental filmmakers for the first time because they haven't been in the gallery. They're not known elsewhere that well. It's it's fascinating for us to get more. And I know there's a, there's a very extensive public program, but you, I, I kind of wanted more space for a lot of those artists. Mm-hmm. Well, I was wondering also, I mean, there are parallel screenings, but wondering if maybe there should have been a little bit more, like almost like a film festival or something, because I really think the context of seeing certain films is not necessarily in the gallery, unless you are creating sort of black box quasi viewing spaces that, I mean, quasi cinematic viewing spaces. But it it just seems to me that the, um, it was unclear to me also the relation to say, video art practice because Diana Thader is a video installation yeah. artist and then uh, she's one of the key figures of the contemporary work that's in the exhibition and how does that relate back to the the experimental cinema and then you have European figures in which like the European modernist Oscar Fischinger I mean it's amazing work it's yes. very important inarguably you have some um, crucial figures. Uh, one of them, I would say, would be Hollis Frampton. I'm sorry I missed the opening, um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed reading uh, what was delivered as a lecture and was intended as a lecture, um, in this case by Martin Rumsby on the opening. But Hollis Frampton is an amazing uh, figure in terms of uh, American arts and, and 
entirely under the radar historically uh, for many, many years. So to put him in the front and to sort of assert his importance is, I think, a valuable thing for the exhibition to do. But then there's very, very little of his work that we actually see. And so it would be interesting to have you know, more projections of his films or, and so I, I guess maybe I'm standing a little bit on the, what if they had done this? What if they had done that? But I felt really kind of at odds with some of the curatorial premises and, and the sort of execution of the, uh, the gallery spaces itself. Yeah. Well, let's talk a few highlights because there's <laughs> a lot of great work here. Mm. Um, we were pulled apart the curation quite a bit. Um, but, you know, I, for example, I love seeing the, the actual physical pieces of celluloid of Len Lai's work when I'm always going to these Len Lai shows and saying, why can't we actually just see the physical work? I thought that was that was smart. Abby, have you got any any highlights for what, what, the things that you particularly thought were strong in terms of the works in the show? Mm. For me, the um, Phil Solomon experience was, a, was an extraordinary thing and one I'll probably go back and sit through all over again, which is kind of a rare thing. Um, I mean, not for me to go back. I mean, sitting through an entire film of that of that duration, but there was no idea in my head about leaving that space. It's a oh, very it's powerful, elegiac yeah. piece. Um, and really, you know, um, it's great. I, I think one thing that I often experience walking around a show of, where there's a lot of film included is that kind of cumulative sense of guilt about the things that you haven't uh, you haven't sat through. Here, I was very much compelled to, to sit through everything um, and to go back. So Phil Solomon, amazing. I also found... Um, the Matt Saunders work really interesting. I guess him being at the kind of really painterly um, end of the spectrum as a as a filmmaker, um, and I thought it really brought home that idea that, you know, that I think it's a McCall quote which I read in the um, in the little handout. But the idea that, that the secret of moving images is that there are no moving images. There's a series of stills. You know, typically twenty four mm. frames per second. They just proceed proceed at a rate that we don't register them as stills. Um, and I kind of liked. Matt um, reasserting that notion of the still, I guess, but through a very kind of, um, you know, these these evidence of kind of the analog process. He's hand painted all those uh, all those images that make up his film. So those two are probably my um, yeah my picks. Although yeah. I love the Judy Miller, I love the Judy. Martin. Any other highlights? For you? Uh, well, I think um, the work of Jim Davis, uh, very important, it's kind of seminal uh, figure, doing abstracted film and and uh, influential on, on Stan Brackage, who I mentioned before. Who I, and so I think Brackage would have been very interesting to also include in relation, but uh, the Davis work is um, quite visually striking. Um, uh, Ken J Jacobs is a, a formidable figure still working today and, and, uh, um, and working on 3D imagery. So I think that's really fascinating, but also showing the very, some of the various or earliest uh, works of cinema from the Lumiere company yeah. at the turn of the 19th, uh, turn of the 20th century from the 19th century uh, was, was quite uh, an experience. I just felt that these moments were kind of diluted by a kind of um, less uh, um, convincing narrative that pulled them all together. Back in mid-February, 37 of the artists due to appear at the Sydney Biennale sent an open letter to the Biennale's board asking them to withdraw the sponsorship of Transfield Holdings. 
Now Transfield Holdings is a company with a stake in Transfield Services which has been contracted to operate detention centres in Nauru and Papua New Guinea under the government's much-condemned policy of mandatory detention for asylum seekers. The board refused at the time, commenting that the Biennale founding sponsor's philanthropy was essential to the financial viability of the Biennale happening. Well, nine artists, including Nathan Gray, then withdrew from the Biennale, and we spoke to Nathan on Friday just an hour or two before the board did an abrupt about turn. Nathan Gray, hello. Um, hi. Hi. Firstly, congratulations on uh, making a stand on this issue and withdrawing from the Sydney Biennale. Um, Thank you. Before we discuss that further, we, we didn't want to pass the opportunity really to introduce listeners to your actual work. It's perhaps like maybe this media attention can um, provide a platform even when you don't appear in a Biennale. So I just... Yes, it's a very cunning marketing strategy. Yeah, well congratulations on that. It's working at least today to our select listenership. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you going to be showing at the Biennale? Um, part of the Biennale is held on Cockatoo Island, which is... Uh, a naval base and a different time a shipbuilding yard mm. um, on an island in, in the mm. middle of the bay. Um, and it was um, basically myself and a group of friends were given the run of the island and we uh, used this kind of simple uh, structure to test sounds um, of all of the many sort of decaying industrial artefacts. Oh, cool. And so... The work's called Species of Spaces, after a Georges Perec book, which catalogues different spaces, and um, essentially it catalogues as many spaces as we could, could work um, through the sounds that, that were available in them. Cool. Yeah, so it's a video piece, essentially, a five-channel video piece. You, you're relatively early in your career, I guess you could say, compared to some of the Biennale selected artists. Uh, it looks like a pretty, in terms of your CV, a pretty prestigious gig. How easy was the decision to make to withdraw? Look, it wasn't an easy decision to make. Into, it was a, well, look, rather than characterising it as a difficult decision, I will say that um, it, it was not, uh, was disappointing in terms of where I would like my career to head. Mm. But um, there was there was some difficulty in deciding um, what to do, uh, but the difficulty was mostly deciding what the effective, most effective action would be. And um, mm. it took me... Uh, I wasn't part of the first wave of withdrawals, but I did... Um, yeah, I decided that, in fact, this would be the most effective action. And well, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some would argue that uh, it's it's your it's your platform, and I mean, I wondered if you'd considered how how much you'd considered staying and, and making work that responded to the situation, as some have talked of, or or using speaking engagements. I mean, using that platform. Yeah, look, I did consider all of those things, um, and unfortunately, my work was not one, and my work in general being about simple, uh, small things isn't something that I felt could be adapted to address such a uh, huge and, and really terrible uh, state of affairs. Um, so I, yeah, I did end up withdrawing. And there are other artists who are doing precisely that. Um, who, who are staying and using the, the platform to, to yeah. in a sense, protest. The other thing was that um, I realised that the, the possibility for protesting this effectively 
um, the the Biennale can be used to. I mean, it is used by Transfield, its sponsors, um, to profit. It, there's no real sort of philanthropy here, I believe. Um, it, essentially, it's an equation that they do uh, in which the tax offset plus the free advertising plus the bump in share pro- price gives them a profit. So in order to, um, in order to disrupt that, I felt I had to withdraw my cultural capital um, and, yeah, and somehow uh, diminish their profits from the Biennale. Nathan, that's quite a strong comment. I mean, this is a company that's had a long-standing commitment to the arts, as I understand, or at least that's how they pitch it. They're a founding sponsor of the Biennale. I, I, I only just read last night they, they, they and uh, the, the family behind Transfield donated $4 million to the Art Gallery of New South Wales back in 2007. We, I mean, we need sponsors, don't we? We need philanthropists. We do need sponsors, and I've got no... I don't have any problem with um, them sponsoring uh, sponsoring art events. Um, I have a problem with them uh, profiting from mandatory detention. But when I say that there's no such thing as real philanthropy, that the, that companies are still making a profit from it, that, I think, is, is OK. That's fine. Um, and I do really appreciate those companies that use that philanthropy to sponsor the arts. But increasingly, um, these public-private partnerships will be creating these sorts of divisions. I think that the Biennale is uh, in a very difficult situation. And um, myself and the other artists who've withdrawn, we don't have any uh, problem with the Biennale. We don't have any problem with the the staff or the or the board or anyone they're they've actually been fantastic really really supportive um the curator juliana engberg has really been supportive of our actions um we're in constant contact with her as we are with many of the other artists who have elected to stay in the biennale what is um going to change what is very difficult for the biennale to do is their main sponsor is involved in uh, mandatory detention and profiting from that, um, and they they will need to change that, and that will be a very difficult thing for them to do because it is a lot of money. Um, it's not really acceptable for them to say without Transfield, the the Biennale uh, wouldn't exist, which they have mm. said in their board meetings, but. Um, I feel what's far more likely to happen is that they will not address this issue properly. They will stay their course. And when it comes time to select a curator for the next Biennale, which will happen relatively soon, it will probably, it, um, considering the timeline for the last one, I think the curator was probably selected before the end of the last Biennale. So the field of curators, artists, writers and the art going public in general will just be vastly reduced hmm. by um, this association if it's allowed to continue. So it's hmm. a very difficult time for the Biennale. Hey Nathan, we were quite interested here as to how um, the artists sort of self-organise themselves around this collectively. I mean, did the four of you that have just withdrawn sort of meet? I mean, were there kind of, was there a lot of discussion? I mean, how have you kind of collectively worked? What happened originally was 
um, before when the situation started to unfold, which was um, which was at the end uh, end of January, early February, uh, myself, Bianca Hester, Gabrielle Devitri, and Charlie Sofo got together, and we dis- decided to um, contact uh, foreign artists, artists coming from overseas, and talk to them about the issue because. We just felt as if it might be, we, because you could see that there was going to be activist protests brewing here, mm. we felt it might be good to um, inform them of the situation. And that quickly developed into a letter to the board, which uh, we have now, I think, 48, 49 signatories to. So um, that's, you know, almost 50%. Um, and we're still being contacted by artists who we uh, were unable to contact in the first um, for that first wave and have them sign to yeah. the to, to the uh, letter. Wow. The, mm. Yeah, a lot of emails. I mean, the last wave of withdrawals: myself, Agnieszka Polska, Nicolene van Harskamp, and Sarah van der Heide, um, We've never met. Uh, we were getting up at odd times in order to Skype and yeah. do things like that because uh, uh, I believe that. Two of them are based in um, in Amsterdam. I'm not sure where Sarah's from. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand the artists. Uh, you, well, you included them. Maybe have asked the BNI to put up signs indicating where the art was going to be. Um, have they agreed to that, or is that looking like a possibility? Um, initially, the offer from the BNI, and we have been in many meetings with the BNI. Uh, the initial offer from the BNI was that we could have signs where we protested mandatory detention um, and the Australian policy of mandatory detention. Uh, this was something that we hoped that we could keep on despite the fact that we'd withdrawn um, and we haven't heard yet as to whether that's right. going to be allowed. Yeah. It's, it's, there's very little immediate attention to this in New Zealand, uh, which is a little sad, and that's why it's great to talk to you today. And um, I wondered what it's like over there in, in Melbourne, uh, in the mainstream press, um, uh, you know, just what the perception of the wider public of, of, of this, of, of your, your and other artists' withdrawal is. Oh, look, there's, um, there's press every day about this issue um, uh, because there's new developments every day. It's been a really... Um, you know, it's been a very terrible set of events. I mean, a week after we found out about the about the association between Transfield and the Biennale, mm. um, there were riots on Manus Island, which yes. wounded seven people, yeah. killed Reza Barati. We're now finding out that one of the wounded people has uh, lost an eye, two are having to have their faces reconstructed. Um, the situation there is incredibly dire, and um, and the so the the uh, the Australian media has been covering that and in tandem covering our action against the sponsor uh, Transfield. So it's been a very hot issue here. Um, yeah, it's it's a very strange situation to be uh, part of a media storm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, thanks, Nathan. Again, congratulations on making a stand and best of luck with, with your work and making time for it and uh, dealing with all the hoo-ha. All strength to you.
You're in the Circuit Cast Pod. Views, voices, and debate on artists, moving image, and beyond. And in this part of the show, we have the great pleasure of talking to Ken Jacobs in New York, a legend of American experimental filmmaking, and his wife and collaborator Flo. Ken Jacobs' five-decade-long practice has often involved the rendering of fragments of existing historical footage and mixing it with his own. It explores what depth can be found in film, making time to expand what we see, or as Ken and Flo put it, exploding cinema. Okay, ten minutes, go! Yeah, it was ten minutes. I'm just waiting for the uh, tape to be rolling. Okay. Uh, And sorry, what is your wife's name again? Florence. It's Florence, it is, it's Flo, yes, 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 yes. Hi Flo, hello from New Zealand. Hello, thank you. Well, hello Ken and Flo, Um, yeah. How's the weather there in uh, New York today? How's the winter treating you? Very cold. Well, it's a shame we haven't got you here in person in in New Zealand. um, We're really pleased to have your work here, though. Mm. I'm I'm very pleased it's there. Your work is screening here as part of a New Zealand uh, exhibition called Cinema and Painting. And, and I did want to ask a, a question that's relevant to you both. I mean, I know, Ken, you trained as a painter. And Flo, uh, you as a collaborator, you, you were also a painter. And, and Ken, I've, I've read you previously talking about uh, a, a sort of opening out of film in the way that Cezanne and the Cubists opened out painting. I, I was kind of interested in what the relationship for you guys was between the two media, between painting and cinema. The first word that uh, that occurs to me is space. To make a a live space, a space that moves and changes, and uh, we see we see that in the in the painting we care for, uh, and uh, n- now I'm making it happen in the film for some years now, actually. Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, space, depth, uh, in in. in Plasticity is the word, yeah. And um, we we take it for granted all too readily, and uh, don't realize that in a way it, it's it's the real substance of painting. <clears throat> we look at things painted, and uh, we look at stories in painting and film. Yes. And don't see don't see the workings of depth as a, as as something vital and. Uh, Protein, yes. You know something that goes through changes. As uh, no, of course it doesn't change on uh, uh, on the canvas, but it changes in your concept of what's there. Yes. And that's and, and that's and that's enough. <laughs> so sometimes, literally, you're doing that almost frame by frame in your work. Um, that's right. that that's right. Uh, and which made me feel very vulgar for a long time because I was doing an illusion. What was happening in the mind? You, know, you you look at a painting, you follow it through, and it changes your mind. You you go through different conceptions of what's there, uh, and I was doing it literally. I was I was yeah. making you know in the, in the passage of time, I was actually following illusion with illusion. Huh. But now uh, I'm reconciled to that. I yes. think what I'm doing is crazy enough. <laughs> to be equal to the uh, to painting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, Ken, uh, a, a constant in, in, in your practice has been um, the use of um, footage from early, I guess, pioneer filmmaking. Um, I was kind of wondering if this is a constant, what the, what the attraction in terms of, of doing that very thing in terms of creating space is. Yeah, well, I, 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 I do a lot of shooting as well, mm. but um, I just, I guess we fell in love 
with early film, and also because it wasn't it wasn't ready to be taken for granted. Uh, the fact that that something could be recorded moving in life was was a wonder, ah. and uh, the story didn't come in for a while. Story just knocked it out of the way, and you, you, uh, humans got involved with human problems. <laughs> and I, I, I love the um, the actual representation of uh, of leaves on a tree, you know, uh, waves in the ocean, uh, you know, things <laughs> moving in the world without their problems. So it sort of goes back to the wonder, what the wonder of that, and, the, and of, of of that moment, and and going into that space, perhaps. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Interestingly, of course, with it, you're kind of working with social history footage and, and, and opening up a, a reading of that and making people stop and pause to think about more about those moments, I guess, or opening up readers, readings for the viewer. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in what political effect you kind of intend with your work by doing that, Ken, or is, is, is that... Uh, yeah. no, I think, I think I'm, I'm just divided. I mean, s some of my work um, <clears throat> brings out my political concerns and I'm very concerned you, you use the word political and we talk we talk about life and death yes you know that, that's what that, that's that's what politics really is like yeah so something something's allow me to comment uh, uh, or show some things but some things are you know they they, they just want to be they just want to be alive well, you, when you say people, very few people. I, I, my work reaches very few people, and uh, I'm sorry about that. Well, that's yeah. an, that's an interesting one because I'm thinking about different ways of showing experimental film. Um, we were recalling today talking that there was Cinema 16, for example, in New York back in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, which was mixing up yeah. the screening of like the educational documentary art films. And I understand that you know hundreds, maybe even thousands of people were going to screenings. Uh, I mean, was that kind of movement influential for you? Very. <clears throat> I, I, I went to Cinema 16 whenever I could afford it, as cheap as it was. And in America at the time, it was a way to get around the censorship laws because uh, yeah. it was a club. So you, you, you joined the club, and there you had uh, a different range a freedom of, of expression that, that couldn't happen in, in the theaters. Yes, yeah. Um, and do you think there were more people engaging with, with experimental cinema through that? Or, or are we just, I mean, we've got new forms like the internet which potentially are opening it up uh, in a different way now? Yeah. Uh, but, but what did most people go for? They went for sex, okay. They went for... <laughs> Ideas they could use in advertising. Um, probably the, the same proportion of of interest in the, in an actual uh, live cinema was happening then as as is happening now. Yeah, yeah. But they were going for a social experience as well, a way of of, of discussing these ideas. Yeah. I saw my first Brackage film in, the, in that audience. And I always had a fight with, with people who uh, uh, couldn't see anything to it, and so were talking, you know? Yes. That, that was happening then, too. <laughs> also, you know, let's say when the Warhol films happened in New York, people were going to see 
some sex that wasn't available to them now. <laughs> it wasn't available, available to them then. So how, how many people are actually interested in, in what they're what calling the substance of, of cinema, space, and time? You know, really interested in, in the Cezanne, really interested in the Cubists. So... Um, yeah, the, the 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 curse is to be is to be only, you know, in contact with rel- relatively relatively few people. That's the way it is. Yeah. Hey, well, speaking of um, back in time in New York, Len Lai, of course, was living in New York for a great many years. Did you see much of so him great. back in the day? Len Lai, Len Lai was great, and he was driven mad. Uh, Jack Smith and I went to a lecture that he gave. One time, and he came out wearing, you know, director's putties on his <laughs> legs, and I mean, they they they, they almost had to escort him off the stage. He got so furious about uh, about it, about the neglect he he suffered. Yeah. A similar thing happened to Eric von Stroheim. I, th- I think that same year, uh, uh, pulled off off a a stage in uh, in uh, in L.A. when he got. He went, began screaming about uh, how Hollywood had destroyed his films. Yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. It's, a, it's a crazy business. I mean, something might be happening now with the web opening up. You know, uh, I mean, of course something's happening, and things will be things will be different. If, they, if uh, more, more, more minds will be reached, more people are making films than ever was thinkable. And that was that was uh, a, a lot of the concern of uh, the uh, people making films in the '60s that it, that it would become a democratic art and not a, not, not a demagogic one. Yes, certainly things like YouTube are kind of uh, doing some of that. Um, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm interested. I mean, there are there seem to be two new different different audiences emerging for experimental cinema. You know, beyond the cinema, there's the internet, and of course, there's also the art gallery. I'm kind of interested what which of those or what what excites you the most. Um, I know the art galleries are run very often by very dedicated people, but the fact that most mostly most of them are geared to sell to the wealthy, yes. and the wealthy buy what, what do they buy? They, they they buy they buy they invest in things that might be worth more. Uh, filmmakers are totally out of this. They're not interested in the art of cinema <laughs> because it's a reproducible art and uh, they can't sell it again. But in terms of a public academic... And, like and, a, and, and, and that shows you the, the, real, the real extent of their interest in art. Mm. Do you think the same goes for, a, say, a university-based public gallery like the, the one uh, your work's showing on here in, in Wellington? No. You know, those, those are losers. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> First of all, you're showing film. You're not going to sell anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's done by other people who just can't help but love the stuff yeah. and want to make it want to make it available, but it's not going to sell. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll try and keep my political comments to just this. Though <laughs> the internet does provide opportunities, do you see that as a, a new space for your work in terms of it going yes. out there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if Flo and I argue, I want to I want to put things out free, and uh, 
she doesn't she doesn't think that's a very smart idea. Yes, well, she's probably right, Ken. Yeah, yeah I know, but it's it, it's an ongoing problem here. Uh, well, I hope you resolve it. Hey, on a, on another subject, the w the work that you're showing here is either in 3D and the new the latest technology of 3D, or it's about 3D and it's kind of history in some way. Um, I'm I'm, uh, what, the mm, I'm interested in what the your guess. attraction is to working in 3D. Oh, it's well, you know, for, I can't, I can't, you know, I can intellectualize this, but it's my favorite flavor of ice cream. Okay, it's delicious. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sensory delight. And um, okay, for, you, you should you, mention that you studied with uh, Hoffman. You say I yes. studied with you know uh, the great uh, painter Hans Hoffman. He was you know he taught for many years. In the USA, you know, left Germany, settled in California, then New York, and uh, I had him at the end of his teaching career. And he was, he was, he was so great, very generous, and, uh, and 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 essentially, what he did was um, he said things in class that was so confusing that I had to, I had to figure them out or just go nuts, and. Uh, I found some other people who wrote well, who were comfortable in English, and uh, you know expressed some ideas, and I finally got on to plasticity, a word he would use again and again in class, and uh, that plasticity is, is, you know, what, what I discussed a moment ago about uh, uh, <coughs> concepts of depth that keep changing, mm. you know, and. Um, we 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 as they go through changes. Maybe we could just talk briefly about that specifically to a work that's being presented here called the guests, which I think uh, is uh, in, involves uh, 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 at least the original 1896 footage of a, a wedding of a, a Lumiere cameraman. Oh, well, his daughter. His daughter. Yeah, his daughter. Oh, his his daughter, his si or his sister, I think I have here, the cameraman's yeah. sister. Yeah. Oh, it's a sister. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that one is absolutely mad. Okay, <laughs> that is my that is one of my best contributions, our best contributions to cinema. Because that one is you you will see impossible things there. But my my work is not about space; it's the experience of space, the experience of depth. You know, and uh, how do you how do you, how do you really describe an experience? Yes, I mean, I think we're going to have to see that one to um, to, to, yeah. to, to fully comprehend it. I mean, uh, finally, I guess, is, is how do you and Flo work together? How does that collaboration work? She feeds me, I kiss her. Let me see what else. <laughs> well, uh, it, was, it was it was my idea to do oh, it. Oh, yes, it was Flo's, that, that little thing, it was, it was Flo's idea to do it. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, well, thank yeah. you, thank you for both um, agreeing to talk to us today. It's it's a it's a pleasure to at least have your work here in New Zealand. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank thank you. And that completes Circuit Cast for the month. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our guests. We'll be back next month. Circuit Cast is produced by Circuit.org.nz. Uh, and is made with the assistance of Creative New Zealand with music by Orchestra of Spheres. Hare da!